I'm Steph and I'm absolutely obsessed with pole dancing. In 2019, I hung up my corporate stilettos for a pair of pleasers and my very own pole studio. I'm now on a journey to have open and thought-provoking conversations uncovering all things pole dancing. To uncovered today guys I have a super important topic to discuss um, and look just one that we want to give a little shed a little bit of light on and today we're going to be talking about mental health and pole so for those of you who might feel triggered um, by mental health topics this might be a good opportunity if you're not feeling up to it today just to switch off the podcast um, and and seek help if you have help around if not um, we can pop some stuff in the show notes below but um, I personally have been quite impacted by mental health over the last couple of years through a very various ways so I'm really excited to talk about this topic and today I have Jessica Polar and PhD candidate who is a mental health academic joining me all the way from the UK welcome to Uncovered Hi, thanks for having me. <laughs> I'm like, I, I don't know if, get actually, no, getting excited about talking about mental health is not a bad thing because mental health is, as we were discussing before we jumped on, it is a form of health, like physical health, spiritual health. Um, so where I want to start is what got you so passionate about mental health? Okay, so um, I, I started my career as a teacher um, of secondary school children and the topic that I was teaching them predominantly was actually religion. Um, and yeah, I know. And, and through the kind of discussions that would happen around those those kind of religion things, kind of matters of life and death and yeah. philosophy, a lot of kids were coming to me with massive disclosures about traumas that they'd experienced. And like these kids were not even 16 yet. Um, and, and it just appeared that there was a massive gap in services that I was kind of contributing to by being a teacher because we were, our hands were tied. We were unable to support them. You have to kind of tick boxes and, and get them through exams. Mm. So that that kind of experiential understanding from, from the mouths of babes really is what triggered my uh, my love of, of an, an interest in mental health. I went from there to to train as a as a behavioral therapist um, for children with conduct disorders. Yeah, wow. Um, um, and I think I think that in itself is quite an interesting segue because I think teachers recognise behaviour before they recognise um, that actually children have mental health difficulties. They see the the behaviour as a problem. So yeah. I, I and I guess kind the behaviour starts the the discussion, sure. doesn't it? Yeah. Absolutely. And I think it's easy to kind of chastise and, and um, demonise children who, who are misbehaving. And it's a lot harder to kind of sit down and try and understand what they're trying to communicate through the behaviour. And that's what I learned as a behaviourist is that actually behaviour is a form of communication. And even as adults, we behave in slightly different ways to try and get our needs met. Um, you know, you come home and you open a bottle of wine. That says I'm not coping today. <laughs> you might go for a drive. You know, these these are all little behaviours that we've learned, which are quite um, what we call adaptive behaviours. But children have got maladaptive coping techniques because they need to be taught how to behave in, in certain ways. 
so that that's what kind of got me in, into into mental health and then I guess from there I ended up becoming an academic yeah and you're currently um undergoing a phd about pole dancing and mental health or in the early absolutely. stages absolutely yeah so, really early stages of that yeah <laughs> what is so first of all how did you get into pole dancing oh my goodness um before this i haven't got free guts down it's morning there you might need another coffee and i might need a wine <laughs> Crikey! All right, high um, level, high yeah. level. <laughs> high, yeah, okay. I um, I I quit the opportunity to be a Disney princess on cruise ships um, in favour of becoming a teacher. Mm. Um, and when that happened, I I decided that dancing and singing and musical theatre was basically going to be a hobby for me, which is great because the pressure's off, yeah. and you can kind of just dip into it whenever you like. So I've always I've always done performance art. And I became really involved in the burlesque and cabaret scene in my kind of late 20s, early 30s, um, because a friend of mine was doing her master's dissertation in burlesque, which was really awesome. Yeah, so um, cool. And yeah, so that kind of opened me up to kind of pole and aerial and circus and loads of other amazing things that I'd never considered before being a musical theatre performer. So um, I, I just gave it a go. I was absolutely awful at it, but I absolutely loved it. And it we was all amazing. We yeah. all <laughs> <laughs> it's that whole kind of, the skin is burning. Oh. Why am I doing this to myself? <laughs> I know. And then you go back after having a break and you're like, why am I still doing this to myself? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. So yeah, um, unfortunately I, I had to stop um, do, doing any kind of um, high intensity exercise when I got pregnant in, in 2013 yeah. um, with a really high risk pregnancy. Um, and then I became really unwell after I'd had my daughter. So I came back to pole when my daughter was recommended to start doing circus because of her joint hypermobility. And I know you've done a podcast on hypermobility. So, with, um, yeah, absolutely. Which was an absolutely. eye opener for me, actually. It started my journey Amazing. in that. So, yeah, no, yeah. it was great. Yeah, so I guess when, when I when I started doing that again um, alongside my daughter, who at the time was only six, mm. and isn't it annoying how amazing kids are at pole? Oh, <laughs> we just started. We just did a free trial for a kids class just for it. Cause so many people in our community are like, "What do you like? My kid's not fourteen yet. When can they start?" Sort of like, why don't we just trial a kids class? Oh my god, it's like like they're yeah. uncoordinated but great. They're just so strong, they just don't care. I'm just like, took me yeah. forever. Yeah. I mean, within the the, fir the first day, she was like, oh, I can I can do trapeze. I can I can climb all the way to the top of the pole. And, and she could. And you're like, that's, thanks. That's fine. That's fine. <laughs> Off you go. Cirque du Soleil awaits. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah I, I, I started. I started, you know, so I started, it was actually 2019 by the time I went back to it. And then obviously um, COVID happens. What a great time to start polling again. Um, so I've had a massive break. Um, and during lockdown, um, my my um, 
my coach Jade um, at Aerial Sports in Ellesmere Port, she said, um, why, why don't you do competitions? It's a really good way of focusing up your, your attention and yeah. giving, you, giving you a focus for your training. So I did. Um, and and I entered and I entered um, a few competitions and actually I'm I'm doing rather well. So, oh, yeah. well done! How so cool. thank you. Yeah. <laughs> so awesome. yeah, I've got the bug. Yeah. Definitely got the bug. Oh, I know. It's sort of um, <laughs> it's sort of evil, isn't it? Like once you get it and you're like, oh, do I want to put my body through this again? If you train smart, but you can't go wrong, right? No. So how it's did great. the and I think one? Sorry, you go. Go ahead. As no, I was going to say, say one, one, one of those kind of... <laughs> <laughs> Guys, we'll get there. There's always, for a side note, whenever we do these things um, through the program we use, there always is a slight delay. And to make it weirder or harder, I took my glasses off, so I'm not reading social cues <laughs> very well. I lost a tooth today to get the start of my braces. It's it's all happening over here. Um, how did the connection of pole and mental health come together for you? Okay, so uh, when my when my daughter was um, doing her pole for her hypermobility, we saw an improvement with her her pain and her symptoms for a hypermobility, which is awesome and yeah. very expected. But the other thing that we didn't expect was that there was an improvement with her sensory integration. Um, and sensory integration is like an occupational therapy term. Yeah, so what and it's is about, it? Yeah. So it, it's about how we process um, and interpret the world that's around us from a sensory perspective. So we, we ordinarily think about the, our sight and our smell and our taste and our hearing, but it goes beyond that. It's about how we feel textures, how we interpret textures, how we place ourselves in the world around us, mm -hmm. how we how we balance, um, how we spin, how we move, how we interpret internal feelings, how we feel full when we've eaten or how we feel hungry, being able to listen to those internal cues and respond to them. So that's that's kind of in a nutshell what sensory integration is. I'm not an occupational therapist, and I'm sure if you get an occupational therapist on here, they'll be able to talk for a lot longer about it. But yeah, and and that's really connected to to mental health because what we know is that children and and adults, so children who have developmental trauma, who've experienced neglect or abusive experiences in the early years, the actual structure of their brain changes. Yes. And you can see this on MRI scans, much the same as adults who have PTSD, the, the actual structure of the brain changes. And with children who have developmental trauma, one of the treatments that is used um, more widely now, certainly in the last 10 years, is the neurosequential model of therapeutics or NMT. And this was developed by Bruce Perry, who is one of our founding fathers of childhood trauma and what it, he looks to do is to treat the area of the brain that has been affected by the trauma okay. so um I, I don't know this is obviously going to be a podcast but if you imagine your your hand is outstretched you put your thumb in the middle of your palm and that's your amygdala so that's the very very first part of your brain that develops in utero and that is your primitive brain mm -hmm. and that's in, in impulse control your ability to kind of fight and flight and then you have over the top you wrap your fingers so you're now making mm. a fist that's your limbic system so your limbic system is responsible for your relationships and your trust and your attachments with people so if you imagine if that amygdala underneath your fingers has not developed properly so we think about children who've been severely, severely neglected um, perhaps in orphanages 
yeah. and that um, amygdala hasn't uh, actually developed properly because they've cried and they've not been responded to, they've not been fed when they're hungry. Those kind of neurons are not going to switch on. That part of the brain is not going to develop. So when your limbic system, which is the next stage, which develops kind of anywhere up to about the age of five, when that develops, that doesn't develop properly because it's on rocky foundations. So your attachments, your trust, your your sense of safety in the world is is already off to a rocky start. So you could be adopted at age six months. You've had a horrific six months. You've had a horrific pregnancy. Be adopted at six months and have wonderful, wonderful caregivers. But there's still going to be developmental trauma there because that amygdala hasn't had chance to heal. The final part is imagine putting another hand over the top of your your fist. Now that is your your cortex and that develops right up to the age of 25. So your brain hasn't fully developed until you're 25. And that's responsible for your ability to rationalize and make sense of the world. So if you've ever had um, trust issues or abusive experiences in your childhood, then the reason why you're having trust issues in your current relationships is basically because neurosequentially, brain structure-wise, your entire brain is is not developing as, as it should have done. So going back to the, the sensory integration, different senses develop at different times. So your olfactory system is one of the first things that develops, which is your sense of smell. And that's kind of a really primitive instinct of like, I can smell fire. The, mm. the cave is going to burn mm. or I can smell food. So I'm, I'm going to survive. I can smell my mother's breast milk. And that's, that's the very first thing that develops. So even your olfactory system can be slightly off if you've had those really early childhood experiences that have not been um, not been great. So when we look at neurosequential therapeutics, we try we look at the developmental history of the child. We look to see at what age those experiences happened, which senses are likely to have been Um, affected in a negative way and then we treat it using these occupational therapy techniques now there's loads of things that are promoted like yoga drumming lessons so really tapping into the vestibular system or tapping into the um, the proprioceptive activities like heavy load bearing but no one's ever really looked at pole Mm. and purely because of the stigma that's still attached to it around some of some of its history with with strip clubs and what have you and not actually recognizing that this is a really powerful tool for sensory integration we spin we climb we use all of our senses and we're totally and utterly in a state of mindfulness when we are polling you know you're you're hanging in crucifix and your mind wanders somewhere what happens you're going to hit the deck yeah you're not going to be in a safe place after that absolutely and you're not going to want to get back up (laughs) it's going to take a while to overcome so can you impact your amygdala is that is that how you say amygdala amygdala thank you i wrote it down like that and then i'm like as soon as you go to say stephanie you're going to say it wrong can you impact that as an adult Absolutely. So some of these um, neurosequential therapeutic methods um, have been trialed and have been successful with adults who have had childhood trauma um, and who have PTSD. Um, As with everything that doesn't involve medication, these things don't get the money for funding. (laughs) 
yeah. um, big big pharma have all the money so you got a new drug we we can trial it mm. but if anything that involves more kind of holistic and joined up approaches with with other sciences it's a lot harder to get that off the ground and Bruce Perry's been able to do it with children really successfully and there is a growing body of evidence there as well that says that this will work with adults mm. and and I have seen it I mean I've ex- I've experienced it myself where I've mm. I've gone to poll and I've had you know stuff with with my pregnancy and early early parenting kind of post um post traumatic kind of symptoms that I believe myself have have been um impacted by the mm. way that I've been moving in poll um and anecdotally you know on, on my Instagram I asked for people to kind of share their experiences of how they've been able to process um the the day-to-day stresses you know is is it any better when you come out of poll are you able to switch off from it during poll and the evidence is there it really is and I even know talking to girls who come into the studio um, and like I've mentioned before we're a female or femme um, identifying studio and they are like I'm having a shit day but I'm here because I know after I do this session I'm going to be feeling better. So what is it that's then happening in our classes, apart from just the physical exercise, that are making people feel better after they finish a pole class? Yeah, it's it's really complex and we haven't really – we haven't researched it enough mm. yet. So, um, that's what we need my you research, for. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. My research is coming off the back of uh, fresh, fresh off the back of Joanna Nicholson's research um, from Western Australia University. And what she found, I mean, she looked at a a number of different things, including the kind of physical effects of poll. But one of the things that she found is that when we haven't researched the mental health side of things enough, Mm. there's some psychological things that are going on in there um, around kind of group identity and, and social identity and that kind of as you say, the, the femme culture and, mm. and maybe even the sort of more stigmatized, ostracized culture. I'm, I'm engaging in an activity that's a little bit risque or it's it's a, a little bit frowned upon. Maybe that matches with the narrative of, of who they think they are because of their past experiences. So they're mm. with a collective of kind of misfits almost. Mm. Um, and then there's the side of it, which is, you know, you're you're a very open and welcoming environment full of lots of different body types so the a colleague of mine um, from the same university Emma Poole she's done a massive piece of research on um, eating disorders and and body image in aerial um, which is fascinating really fascinating stuff Um, and what she was hoping is that actually amateur aerialists would be able to be more open and comfortable with their body image but she actually found the opposite she found that there's there's not a lot of difference between professional and amateur aerialists in the UK um, in terms of their 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 kind of feelings about their body when when they go into the pole studio so it it isn't just one thing and I guess what I'm trying to say is it's all of these things combined but I think there isn't enough research done around the the sensory integration side of things mm. about how we physically move in different ways and how that affects the brain. We know how it affects cardiovascular mm. and respiratory wellness. That's been researched extensively. We know that it burns body fat. We know that it builds lean muscle in the upper body, which no other dance um, style can do. We know that it helps you embody femme or your own personality or your own sense of self-identity but what we don't know is how it repairs any kind of mental health or or brain trauma 
And is that because it's probably, well, one, it's not researched and I guess our sport being so mm. new um, and the industry itself being so new, it's, you know, research is only just coming out in the last, you know, I'm going to say like five odd years yeah. in pole dancing. But is yeah. that also because it's hard to quantify from a research It is hard to quantify. Yeah, it, it is. I mean, we have, with, with any other type of trauma, um, treatments which you would traditionally be referred for whether that's medication or kind of a a more um, psychotherapeutic approach you would always do something called pre and post measures so you would kind of do this questionnaire of Mm. how impactful is your trauma at the moment how often does it bother you um how you know are you able to switch off from these things and then after the treatment you would do this post measure to say how impactful is it and if there is a measured improvement no matter how insignificant, as long as there is some improvement there, yeah. then that treatment is is considered to be um, successful. Um, and we we do see that people don't engage in PTSD um, therapies because they are so long and mm. laborious, and they involve addressing narrative an awful lot. So yeah. taking you back to that memory and taking you back to that place and being able to process that in a different way. One of the biggest treatments that we have for trauma at the moment is EMDR, which is eye movement, um, kind of getting your, your brain to process memories in a, in a better way. They kind of sit in the wrong place in the brain. And mm. by using eye tracking, it places it in, in the right place part of your brain so it can be processed effectively and isn't kind of occurring to you every day but the emdr is so laborious the emdr takes such a long time and actually requires such a lot from the human Mm. being that a lot of people drop out from it and their other symptoms their depression or their anxiety symptoms which are often comorbid become more of an issue for them than the actual trauma and that kind of gets left to the the wayside so what pole has the opportunity to do is to address a range of different mental health difficulties all in one go mm. so one of the things that myself and and Emma Poole are hoping to to get off the ground in in 2023 is a is a course for instructors mm. so that they know what kind of language to use and they know where in their their class they can be targeting potential clients who may benefit from working through some stuff yeah what's there on the poll so what types of things could instructors be what like you you say language what are some language things that might be used that could be um i i'm assuming triggering to people in the room yeah sure i think it's not necessarily about avoiding language that's triggering i think it's more about being mindful of using specific language that will be really helpful Um, and we we use we use it a lot anyway certainly the studios that i've been in um you you are strong you are resilient you know Mm. using these words that very subconsciously sit in the mind and the more you hear it the more you believe it mm-hmm. um you know you you've survived that you fell you're getting back up you're resilient and and noticing where you're feeling things in terms of we were talking before you know if you're sitting in in a cross-legged release you've got a pole between your thighs you know talking about those body parts using 
anatomically correct words mm. because a lot of people who've had sexualized trauma for example are really quite shameful of like the pelvic girdle and vagina and using words like that you know where are you feeling it are you feeling the pressure between your thighs are you feeling you you know bring the pole right up into in, not into your crotch bring the vagina towards mm. the vagina area you know just mm. using actual language to help people feel more comfortable with relabeling their bodies making it almost it is normal but like I making it almost normal language in and around that environment especially in a trusting space and it might help them obviously yes. build their trust and build their Absolutely. confidence and being able to relabel their own vagina interesting I know I use the word um vagina quite a lot when explaining moves only because when I say it it catches people's attention and I'm like and you're gonna get your vagina yeah. here it's like oh did she just say vagina um but yeah. I didn't think I was gonna say vagina this much on this podcast but um <laughs> <laughs> trigger warning yeah trigger warning lots of vagina chat um but yeah like I know I've been doing that but I've never thought about it in that sense like I de- we've definitely had discussions about um you know don't say things like, oh, somebody's going to stick their finger up your bum. Or like, I know that's a really bizarre thing, but yeah. it's a, a, a discussion as instructors that we've had to have yeah. to be like, you can't say things or you need to be mindful of when saying those things because it could be triggering for somebody else. Absolutely. I mean, I think as instructors, you you have to appreciate just through no fault of your own, you've created this really healing space. Mm. That there is the research says that everyone who does pole feels like they're part of a community, a very small kind of studio community, and then on a much wider scale, this this larger community. And to get that, what we call therapeutic alliance, mm. that can take months as a therapist. You know, yeah. you're just popping in every week, seeing your therapist to get to that place where you're able to then either transform or to heal mm. it takes a really, really long time in therapy. So you have already got a therapeutic space and we should really be using the instructors more to do something with that. Yeah, wow. And I think like when you go to therapy too, it's not always a fun time. Like even though it's good for you and you know it's great. I mean, I still hold monthly appointments purely because I know that they're good for me. But sometimes I'm like, I don't know what I'm walking into. And then I come out and be like, I really wish I didn't go today. I know it'll be good in the long run, but I need to, it was really emotional and I need to process this. So Yeah. yeah, it's way much, it's way more fun than therapy. Absolutely. And the, the research of, of Joanna Nicholson, she said one of the things that keeps pole dancers keeping going to pole is the fact that it's fun. Yes. And yeah. one of the main drivers is that you are achieving something. You mm-hmm. come out of that session and you've always achieved something. And it's so much more difficult when you're in a face to face psychotherapy appointment to actually see that that benefit and that bonus and come away going yes I'm winning at mental health today I cried like a baby that's so great (laughs) and now my mascara is all down my face and I have to reset my entire makeup but I'm feeling really on top of the world and I'm gonna go to I'm gonna go to pole to make myself feel better yes (laughs) the amount of times I've left therapy and gone straight to pole um mostly before I've before I brought the studio because then it became my workplace predominantly um well predominantly pretty much my workplace um but yeah like the amount of times I was like going to pole I used to have when I first started therapy I would go every single Friday night at 5 p.m because that's what you want to do on a Friday night but I was committed to making change and I'd go straight from there to the studio 
And it was always... And that's interesting as well, Steph, because what you're saying there is that you were committed to a change. And, and mm. what we call that is on, on your cycle of motivation for change, you wanted that change. Mm. And that time of day on that day of the week suited you and fit in with you. How often can we get therapy appointments actually fit with what we want? We have to fit in with our therapist. Well, it didn't actually fit me, but I was like, oh, I, okay. like I was just like, well, if this is the only appointment I can get. And I knew like I needed change. Like I knew in myself I needed change. So I was like, if this is the only appointment I can get, I'm going to go because I need this to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, you can't. You have to work around their schedule and then they just get busier and busier. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, studios and are I always wonder, open. Absolutely. And I, and I wonder as well, that sense of connection that you, you have with a therapist, did it ever feel as connected as you did with, with your peers in your pole dancing studio or even with your instructor? Did, did you feel any difference there? Yeah, I, you, it's not the same. But I know like over time and I mean I've been in therapy now for six years so over time you build and you know it's a safe place and I've obviously got a relationship with him and where I know I'm going to go and we're going to work on me in that time and I can say anything I want and I won't be judged I won't be shamed I still don't feel like I'm very open so a lot of the people which I'm around and I work with in the studio know some of the experiences that I've had and it is just it's become a safe place but I had to work mm-hmm. to get that I guess so does that answer your question yeah it does. I feel like I'm being I should be sat there yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like I'm not used to being on this end of the of the question this is what happens when you interview a therapist <laughs> I know <laughs> literally as I was answering that I was like she's a therapist that's for sure <laughs> see what I did there yeah (laughs) but I do know that there's so many of our girls who come in and I'm sure it's not just our studio I'm sure it's plenty that are like we spend money on pole because it's cheaper than therapy and it makes me feel good so I think like you know they say that and you you understand what they're saying you really do get it um but how to communicate that outside of people who don't do pole and they're just like you guys do what they're like yeah especially with the, the stigma associated absolutely and I think the more I I discuss my my daughter's participation in poll the more acceptable it is when I say she does aerial or she does circus and then I kind of mention oh she does pole as part of that wider gambit of of activities and, oh okay that's interesting mm. then I have to take them back to kind of several thousands of years ago when they used to do it in India and China and then it's all okay um, but there's still oh, this yeah. big piece of work to do isn't there on the stigma oh yeah and the last episode that we released um we released just this week was um pole stripping versus pole and that was just talking about exactly that like the stigma that's associated around it um why is there a divide between the two and yeah parts of what we do come from strip clubs and I think the world is becoming more accepting but there's still what I like to term gray hair like there's still a lot of gray hair um in and around that so I I feel like we're making waves there slowly but still even educating within our own communities is really important to continue to do um so what are you hoping 
to do with your research? So uh, the first stage for me is about this kind of um, educating the instructors and mm. getting them to use use their skills to their full potential and, and raise awareness as well of maybe the types of mental health that might be presenting in their studios and, and how to support that to get the most out of their students and to get the most out of their student experience, but to keep it a safe space as well. Yeah, um, and I find that's And an I think that's important. Yeah, and I find as an instructor, it's... Um, I find a really important skill as an instructor is emotional intelligence and being able to, one, control your own and like work within yourself when you're talking to somebody, but to be able to identify something in somebody else. And and this is where being an instructor is so much more than just teaching pole and when people want to be instructors going oh I just want to be an instructor being a pole instructor I get to pole all the time but there's so many other elements of which we work with as instructors and this is one of them it is disclosures as well like we do get people come to us and share um, trauma about themselves um, about things in their life and we're gonna be getting our local um, domestic and family violence not-for-profit and to speak to the instructors because we don't know what it is we should be doing and this could potentially be the same with mental health like as instructors how do you approach somebody who might give you a, f- a big disclosure or somebody who might be presenting something but yeah it's it's challenging Mm, absolutely. And, and eat, eating disorders and, and mm. body dysmorphia as well is a huge issue and they go hand in hand with trauma as well. Um, and I think there has been uh, an emphasis on kind of athleticism and, and and shredding and competition prep and you've got to get your body ready for photo shoots and, and how much of that is being legitimised for people who are suffering with eating disorders um, kind of using that as kind of a smokescreen to, to kind of perpetuate their, their eating problems or their body dysmorphia. You know, it's, it's massive, isn't it? It's much bigger so than massive. we can solve in one podcast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that just starts a new podcast series. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it, yeah, and one thing I learned recently, which I didn't know, is um, particular exercises for people with eating disorders or who are recovering. Um, who were, you know, so focused on a particular body image, if they do, they may have done those exercises a hundred times to punish themselves. So including them in the warm-ups might be triggering for them. Triggering, absolutely. And you think about the the body mass and the the bone density of of recovering um, eating disorder clients. Are they actually safe to return to to physical exercise such as pole? Um, and, And... the answer is probably no um and you've got to be very careful about how you how you monitor and you manage that physical exercise as well and yeah. nutrition number Ugh. of conversations i've had to shut down around food yes yeah <laughs> that's a particular bugbear of mine i think because i've worked on on wards with eating disorder um clients um mm. i think com- conversations around food and nutrition i, I just shut them down as, as quickly as i possibly can and I think this just shows, like, the complexity of the world, for one. I think that's really important mm-hmm. to highlight. But the complexity of a post studio space and just bringing together – and it would be in any community – but bringing together 
that many people and like I was just one of the thoughts that were just running through my head as we're having this conversation is you know as instructors we need to be better understanding the tricks but with them we also need to be able to read the room and now we and then you want to and I I don't mean this in a bad way but then we got to add in this additional element about mental health and then like it, it is layering and layering um upon but I'm assuming as a teacher you would have had the same juggle absolutely it yeah it's it's as you said it's it's the wider community but amplified and in a very small space mm. and connections <laughs> so you've got absolutely, built with them and yeah. so you feel for them and you have that connection with them and you want them to succeed yeah and it becomes very difficult to to find where your professional boundaries are mm. as a as a teacher as a therapist it's slightly different than it is as a teacher but then as an instructor again it's different so being able to understand your kind of therapeutic boundaries your professional boundaries how much input do you need to have in that person's process and how much do you need to kind of signpost them on I mean is is it your ethical obligation to to signpost somebody and say look I've I've noticed um you've lost an awful lot of weight I'm concerned I don't want you to do the the conditioning today or the warm-up I don't think you're safe to do that or do you just pass it all back to to the the clients and say well you know they pay me the money and they've signed the park you so I'm just going to let them do it mm. yeah like I don't that's a really good question and I'm just thinking about the instructors in my studio and I know they're not going to do that okay you've paid the money let's just move on they're going to be like okay yeah I care for you I want you to get xyz out of this today but you can't do this and I know that because I've literally had instructors be like "Uh, I don't think you should be here today I think you should go home because safety was a concern so absolutely yeah but I guess the boundaries for that would be different in every country is my assumption. Yes, I, I believe so. And I think it's down to your um, personal indemnity insurance and mm. your public liability insurance, what that says as well. Yeah. Um, and as far as I'm aware, there's nothing about mental health in, in any of those things. That's not surprising. It's kind of because it's also, yeah, mm. it's also stigmatised, right? It's yeah. like that as a, as a thing. Are you seeing improvements in that? In terms of stigma around mental health, we, yeah, we. I think now that we're starting to realise that there is an economic value in making people mentally well, <laughs> um, and that there's financial implications if people are left to go into mental health crisis, um, yeah, it's become one of the the who the the, the who's mm. um, kind of global developmental goals, yeah, um, and improving mental health and well-being is is on there um, and all of the money is going into um, e- either end of, of services it's either going into early intervention and when we talk about early intervention it's on kind of universal services it's this it's it's kind of your instructors it's your teachers mm. it's your person on the street understanding what mental health is and being able to signpost somebody when they need it before they hit crisis and then the rest of the money is going into kind of crisis management and, and that then frees up the, the core services to be able to operate to their full capacity because in the UK especially, they're absolutely stretched to the max. So and we're looking at waiting times of kind of 18 months from kind of assessment to treatment for things like EMDR. Wow. Yeah. That's huge. huge. And I know here even getting in Australia, getting into a psychologist at the moment is a huge wait. The 
they're on waiting lists for six or so months. And I've had those conversations with students. Um, You keep bringing up signposting. What does this mean? Like when you signpost a yeah, so and that would be if somebody, um, you, for example, you you notice that they've got some of the signs of an eating disorder. So my chihuahua is knocking my, my computer <laughs> and it's making me look like I'm having an earthquake. It's really not. Oh, so sorry. It's okay. <laughs> so, did you see so I had a little sign, poodle up here before going? Yeah, like, I did. I noticed a little head, but he looks... He looks well behaved. Um, this chihuahua is, is going to be the death of me, I'm sure. Um, okay, so sign, signposting is, if you notice, for example, somebody has uh, got signs of an eating disorder that you might be able to just have a little leaflet ready to go in the studio. Maybe it's just precariously placed in a, in a rack of leaflets and you might be able to just whip that out or having posters with um, mental health helplines on so that people can access that support themselves without you having to kind of single people out Um, Mm. it could be having um, it could be having your own kind of clinical supervisor on the phone ready to go so as as a studio owner you might want to you know access the services of a psychologist or of a psychiatrist and say look you know am I am I doing a good job here is there anybody I should be concerned about Mm. Um, and that's that's basically what signposting is. And the purpose of signposting from an early intervention point of view is that it empowers the person to get the support themselves mm. rather than waiting for that help to come at crisis point. Because a lot of people with mental health issues have struggled for so long with their mental health that they lose track of what those early warning signs are and yeah. when they're kind of straying away from their, their normal. Um, and being able to actually say, maybe I need to get some help now it's not until they're actually in crisis that they actually come forwards and I feel like this is we talked about this before we hit the record button but I feel like they're normal you just mentioned there I feel like that's really important to share because it is about your normal it's not necessarily about how you compare to somebody else because coming all the way back to what you were talking about right at the beginning and your childhood traumas or experiences set up I call them schemas I've been like Mm -hmm. set up your schemas or like your behaviors as adults yeah so everybody's a different so you can't I guess compare how you're going and how shitty your day is to somebody else's because their triggers in life or their their situations might be really different so I I think what's really important to share there is that it's your normal and absolutely mental health is health and it is I know in my own journey it's been up down round and round it's just been a lot and then when you think you're getting good with one thing something else happens so and that's okay because I had the support there to help me um, so I was able to just pick up quite quickly but yeah I think that's really an important message probably a huge but isn't that the same with your physical health as well Mm. because you know you have ups and downs with your physical health you know I've had coronavirus three times since October and you know had to sit back and not do a physical exercise and then get back into it and you need to know when to rest you need to know when it's okay to push yourself you need you need to understand when you need to take on more calories because you're competing for a competition and you're doing comp training you need to know that because you've got an old injury on your piriformis that you need to go and see a a sports masseuse every now and again to to work on that fascia and that tear you need to know that your flex isn't as good as your 
I, I don't know, something else. So don't go pushing yourself in the flex lesson. You know, just because you've got a bendy wendy in the class doesn't mean that you have to be that yes. bendy wendy as well. And it's exactly the same with, with mental health. We're mm-hmm. so good at, at understanding physical differences and listening to our physical health because that has been forced down our throats since mm-hmm. birth you know you've got to go to the doctors you've got to have your immunizations you've got to do this you've got to do that and we we haven't yet normalized that culture around our mental health yet mm. and I remember when I first started therapy the analogy was given to me is he's like you're just going to the gym but for your brain am I yeah ah, okay yeah like and Absolutely. it's not like it is so true I'm just doing my exercises to work that muscle that controls the rest of me um so yeah I think that's a really good point we just can't see our brain but what's really interesting is we can see the behaviors that come out of our brain so that they're they're our warning so it's understanding what our normal behaviors are and then and it's recognizing that our normal behavior which might appear normal to us when it's perceived by other people actually isn't normal or isn't correct or isn't what we think is normal and safe behavior for us until it's pointed out by somebody else actually perhaps isn't a safe behavior to engage in so it might have worked really really well for us as a coping strategy throughout our lives and it's never really caused any alarm or harm to anybody but you've never really shared it and then when you do share that information somebody comes back to you and says actually yeah, you shouldn't be drinking three bottles of wine on a weekend because you've not been able to cope with the stress during the week. Oh, is that not normal? Oh, okay. Well, that's mm. historically what everybody in my family has done for the last three generations. Why is that not normal? And then you can start to unpick some of that. So if you do see somebody in a studio um, with some abnormal signs, how can you, I know you, we talked about approaching and getting a leaflet, but what are some words that you can use to obviously... I want to say not upset them, but I don't know that that's a really good word to use. Yeah, it's tricky, isn't it? Because mm. you're against the clock as an instructor. Mm. And I always say, don't don't ask how somebody's coping unless you've got time to hear how they're not. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have, I've had to do this in, in actual classes with, with students where I've said, I can, I can see you struggling. Do you mind if I speak to you after the class or can I catch up with you later? And this then starts to... F- eat into into your time into your studio time um but it's about acknowledging i can see you're struggling or i've got concerns about how you're coping and then being able to ask them to come back to you when when is an appropriate time because the worst thing you can do is to say to somebody i can see you're not coping or how are you coping today and then that's the whole class going out the window and there's a massive overshare and then it bleeds into everybody else and then you're triggering everybody else because there's this big disclosure that you didn't want to happen. And then conversely, you don't want to be kind of glossing over it of like, oh, you've got this, you're okay. Mm. It's like, oh, I'm really not okay <laughs> and I need you to talk to me about it. It's a fine line, isn't it? It's, it's very mm. hard. And if there is a person in class who notices this about themselves, what are some things they can do for themselves? Crikey, there's so many things available online. I'm going to sound really cheesy now, but lockdown has kind of made um, kind of cyber therapy a, a thing. Um, mm-hmm. There's loads of websites, and we we can we can add those to to the kind of thread on the podcast so that people yeah, can access them. Yeah, would love them. to. Yes. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, in Australia, you've got so many good resources. Canada's got some really great resources. And you've always historically done cyber therapeutics really, really well because you're such a huge country. Mm. Um, and being able to access uh, a range of services yeah. has, has been tricky because you've got so many remote parts. Mm. Um, the UK is just kind of catching up with that now. And, you know, We've all got laptops in the NHS, which is great. You know, we know we haven't had like our own technology for, for donkey's years. So mm. we're finally catching up with the rest of the world. But yeah, we, we can put some online resources on oh, there. But I think one one of the one of the most um brilliant skills that you can teach yourself is five four three two one, which is a grounding technique. Um, for anyone who's feeling overly anxious or is becoming overwhelmed with any sort of emotions um, or distressing thoughts. So if they're being triggered um, in class or if they're just becoming very overwhelmed, maybe you're just getting yourself in a real tears about not being able to do a particular move. And that's kind of conjuring up a lot of overwhelming feelings for you. You stop what you're doing. So obviously, if you're in a pose, you need to come down off the pole. I'm not asking you to do this while you're in Aisha. <laughs> Yeah, no, we don't want you doing five, four, three, two, one in Aisha. Just come down <laughs> to the ground. And we do um, stop and label five things that you can see in the room. Mm. So for me right now, um, if you notice my language, it's really descriptive. I'm looking at my handbag and it's pink and it's got a big zip on it and it's got a black handle. So I'm being really descriptive about what I can see. So that's one thing. You can say this in your head. You don't have to say it out loud. I'm looking at a white radiator on the wall and it needs a bit of a clean. I can see a little mucky handprint on there from my daughter, <laughs> etc. So you go up to, up to five. And then four things that you can touch. So in the posture, I'm touching a chrome pole and it feels cold and it feels smooth. And it feels or it feels warm or it feels sticky. I can feel my eye tack on it. Yeah. Another thing that I can touch, I can touch the mat and the mat feels squishy and it feels cold. It might feel soothing. And then three things that you can hear in the room. So I can hear traffic passing outside on the road or I can hear the clock ticking on the wall. Um, two things that you can uh, smell. I don't know. What can you smell in a pole studio? Methylated spirits. Let's not go there. <laughs> I can smell the vodka in the bottle. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then one minute of deep circular breathing. Mm. Um, so we breathe in through our nose to a count of four and we breathe out through our mouth to a count of eight. And we do that for one minute and just check the clock. And that's what we call grounding. Um, it brings you back into the present. Yeah. And again, it's a, it's a form of sensory integration because you are integrating all of your senses. Because what we do is we go straight back to our amygdala when we're in crisis and we're unable to rationalize. We're unable to place ourselves in the space. And particularly with PTSD sufferers, we take ourselves back to that traumatic event. And that can be very real and, and, and very disabling for us. Yeah, no, I think, thank you for sharing that. I think that'll be so helpful for so many people who maybe do need a um, a coping skill in a moment where, like you just said, if something comes up for you in class and you weren't expecting it, you might need something to bring you back in. But also probably a helpful skill if you can see somebody is not and be like, okay, I just want you to label, um, tell me five things you see and start working through that. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think 
if you've got a client who is in a crumpled heap on the floor and is is bawling their eyes out or just seems just totally overwhelmed and and perhaps you're thinking hmm, this could be something a bit more but they're saying it's just because I'm really frustrated with my day and I've not been able to get that move and I've hurt my hurt my ass falling off the pole <laughs> you you can do that with them you know that's yeah. something really simple that you can do just to bring them back into the present one thing my yoga instructor used to do um was she had affirmation cards mm-hmm. and you can get some really really cute ones on like Etsy and and mm. in, in even Amazon and and just handing out after your cool down just popping down a little affirmation card on, on everybody's um cool down mat and just saying that's 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 your affirmation for the day oh I love and just that. changing changing some of that narrative and schema mm-hmm. yeah I love that I'm just gonna write that down because I have affirmation <laughs> cards in the studio the girls are gonna be <laughs> like the girls are gonna be like oh Steph's got a new bloody idea <laughs> <laughs> Take it one step further and you could ask people to set an intention for the for the practice as yeah. well. We do that quite a lot in yoga. Yeah, mm-hmm. I love that. Um, so before we wrap up, is there, I, I know it's gone really quickly. Is there anything else you want to share about <laughs> pole and, and like it's okay if it goes for a while, but like about pole <laughs> and mental health, like is there anything you really, really want to share? No, I, I just think that if if you're getting something from, from your pole and you, you do – view it as your therapy keep using that language it's really important that you you attribute your physical activity to a form of therapy because it absolutely is um and i promise you that if if i don't do this research somebody will and and in 10 years time you'll be like ah yeah i was i was doing that i was self-medicating with with pole and i want to hear from people as well so i will i'll I'll send you the the link for my insta and and my my website and you can get in contact with me because i want to hear your your stories and if you want to be part of my research as well i'll be looking for participants as well and you did a poll on your Instagram, um, and I know I jumped on and I answered some. What was your feedback like for that? Let, let me get that up for you Ooh. now. It was it was interesting. It, yeah, they were great um, questions. Thank you. It's just a, a kind of a little taster of some of the things that I will be um, trying to address through through my research. Mm. So. Um, nobody said that their mind actually wanders during poll, which is really interesting because actually with PTSD, if we have intrusive thoughts, it's very difficult to switch off from that. Or if we have OCD, for example, it's very difficult to switch off from those intrusive thoughts. Mm. And people who have trauma, OCD and and other mental health difficulties that involve intrusive um, thoughts, when they're in the gym, for example, they find it very difficult to switch off. Mm. When they're going for a run, possibly their mind will wander but actually in pole dancing what we're finding is people are going in and it's them in the pole if their mind wanders it's very difficult to kind of think about that thought for too long before you you're back in the room again so that was really interesting Um, they're either rock solid on me in the pole or they can bring their focus back really quickly which I thought was fascinating yeah and the other question that I asked is um, whether or not mental well-being has actually improved and 100 people 100 percent of everybody who answered said that the mental health and well-being has improved since starting poll which is just amazing isn't it so amazing and it just like like you know obviously that exercise is good for people but yeah why is it like and yeah, what what is it in pole that is doing that? No, I there's obviously a lot to think about when you're on the pole, so it probably is yeah. really hard to wonder. But yeah, interesting. 
Really interesting. Mm. And then in comparison to other exercise that they've tried as well, um, pole has had an impact. So mm. not just what is it about physical exercise, because we we know that obviously endorphins and, and other happy hormones play a part in rewarding the brain when you part partake in exercise. And that's why we encourage people as mental health therapists to go and engage in physical activity. Mm. <clears throat> we, we need that for the brain. We feed the brain with, with those endorphins. But in comparison to other exercises, and we know that pole dancers have tried other exercises, either tried and failed at other exercises or are really physically active in other things. Mm. But it, there's something unique about the pole that is making them improve their mental well-being. So that's just, I, I just find that really fascinating. Mm. Um, and everyone agrees as well um, that stuff on their mind before class has been processed in a different way. So either it's it's still there after the class and that they're kind of glad of that rest so they've been able to process it or it's significantly less or it's easier to process after class interesting what's that about what's that mm. about like I mean I'm a reflector so I know I need the time to like think about things but yeah is it what is it that you f makes you feel better about it at the end of or okay to interest ah can you can you please do your research <laughs> <laughs> I want to yes. <laughs> and I guess the, the last one um, the last question that I asked was um, about what poll has enabled you to do and the majority of people said it's helped them work through some shit yeah, yeah. which is really interesting I want to know what shit you're working through when you're in poll mm. what shit like, is that like what like mental health shit that they're working through yeah mm. what what is it is it body image stuff is it as you say is it schema and that narrative mm. that you've been fed is it stress of the day mm. i want to know yeah interesting yeah well yeah guys if you want to be a part of this i think you should um hit up jess <laughs> what's your instagram <laughs> handle jess Oh, my Instagram, it's a very long story about why my Instagram handle is what it is. Um, it's <laughs> okay. chi it's chi China White Pole. Um, China White was my burlesque alter ego. Um, uh. I'm really pale. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. So China, China White, White is the, the paleness. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, have, I have some foundation on my skin this morning, but I'm usually the color of your top, so... Oh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and like the off-white top I'm wearing or the white, yeah, white yeah, the, top? Yeah. <laughs> I'm wearing a very yeah, white China, top today, guys. China white pole. Okay. And yeah. I will pop I will pop my um, – I've got a, a blog that I'm starting up purely for the purposes of the research, so I'll, yeah. I'll pop the link on, onto my Insta for that as well. That's you true. just come forward and share your experiences and, and let me know if you want that to be part of my uh, my research. I love it. Well, thank you so much for joining us today and uncovering mental health. I feel like we only really scratched the surface here, but there's only so much you can do in a uh, a podcast episode, but I think it's Absolutely. a great start. Um, yeah, I really hope that we get to see this. Like you said, if you don't do it, somebody else will, because I think there are people who are super interested in it. And the more we Absolutely. are um, accepting mental health and the more we're accepting poll the more this is going to come together, I feel. Guys, Absolutely. if you love this episode, um, please leave us a review. Go check out Jessica's Instagram page. And yeah, um, 
feel free to ask questions. We'll be talking about mental health all week on Instagram. So share in our tell us sections and, and yeah, until next time, we'll see you all soon.